Brothers, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 48. And as you are doing that, I want to remind you that it was a, about a year and a half ago that we began this journey together through uh, the book of Genesis. And now we just have three lessons left. And actually, the lesson today is the last one that I get to teach. Barton will teach next week, and George will teach the final lesson in the book of Genesis. Uh, and so because it's my last time uh, to teach you in this book, um, I just wanted to let you know how grateful I am to all of you for what you have given me through this study. You see, your accountability uh, that you have brought into my life have caused me to make sure that I study deeply these things. And as a result, over the last year and a half, I have studied Genesis more deeply than I ever have in my life. And, and God has used that as a great sanctifying work in my life. And I am grateful to all of you because I know that God used you and your expectation that we would make sure that we were really studying the meat of God's Word and not just fluff, that we weren't just glancing over it. Because of that, because of that expectation, because of that accountability in my life from you, um, I have been greatly blessed. So brothers, thank you. Thank you for this gift you've given me. And as I think about that, as I say that, I can see your faces. I can still remember all of us being there in the fellowship hall or Wednesday nights being down in C100. I can see your faces. I wish I could see your faces right now. You are dear to me and you have blessed me. And I'm grateful for what you have given. So now as we turn to Genesis 48, uh, let's go to the Lord and ask Him once again to bless us and to teach us deep things in His Word. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do turn once again to this uh, great gift of Your Word here in Genesis. And we would ask, Heavenly Father, that You would teach us once again. Teach us what these uh, events, Your workings, meant to Joseph and Jacob and Ephraim and Manasseh as they received Him in this moment. Father, help us to understand what it meant when the Israelite people heard from Moses about this great event, these great conversations and moments. And Father, help us to understand what they mean for us to, today because your word is the eternal word of God and it never returns void. So Father, do your work today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, brothers, one big clue that Genesis 48 is very, very important uh, is, is the fact that in Hebrews chapter 11, that great chapter of faith, that hall of fame of faith, where the writer of Hebrews just recounts as examples uh, the different uh, ways in which the people of God over history have demonstrated a faith in God. The great clue that this chapter is important is that the only thing mentioned in that hall of fame of faith in Hebrews 11 regarding Jacob from all the aspects of Jacob's life the thing that is mentioned is this, chapter 48. It's, it's the blessing of Jacob upon Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21. And it is because it's a great gift from this father and this grandfather to his son, Joseph, and to his grandsons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And the gift is something we really need to understand as we study this. This great gift from a father, from a, from a grandfather. Here we are at Christmas time. 
And I imagine that you all have thought a little bit about the gifts that you'd like to give your children or give your grandchildren, or maybe your wives have mentioned that you need to start thinking about that, or maybe she has mentioned some things. And I would say to you as we begin this today, what is the gift that you wish you could give your sons, your daughters? What is the ultimate gift that you wish you could give? What is the big thing that you could give your your grandchildren, your grandsons, your granddaughters? I imagine if we asked that question to Jacob earlier in his life, uh, Jacob would have responded, well, I really want to give my kids and my grandchildren, I want to give them a name. I want to give them wealth and security. Uh, That's the thing that Jacob, I think, would have said earlier on in his life. Um, I think a little bit later in his life, before we're here in chapter uh, 48, I imagine Jacob maybe wouldn't have said wealth and security and a name and prestige. Um, Probably by that time in his life, after all that he'd gone through, he probably would have said, well, I want to give my kids or my grandkids just relief from any kind of trouble. Like, I don't want them to have to struggle like I did. I don't want them to have to wrestle with things like I did. I want them to have a freedom from disappointment uh, as they um, live their lives. And now, though, here at the end of, of Jacob's life, here he is 147 years old. He's about to die. What is the gift that he wants to give his sons and his grandsons? It's something much greater. With that in mind, let's read chapter 48, and you can follow along with me in your Bibles. After Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in his bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty has appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go in Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so he could not see. So Joseph brought them near, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel, that is Jacob, said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees and bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left or his right hand, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. 
And he blessed Joseph, that is Joseph's sons, and he said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my father Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father had laid his hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, his right hand, excuse me, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is firstborn, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. Then he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I'm about to die. But God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of, into the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given you, rather than to your brothers, one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Brothers, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As you see in your notes, uh, I have six points, and I'm going to go pretty rapidly uh, through those six points. Um, but I want us to see... Uh, as, as Jacob blesses Joseph's sons, his grandsons, I want us to understand that what, what Jacob was doing was, was showing Joseph and his grandsons, he was giving them the kingdom of God. That's the gift he wanted to give them. More than anything, more than prestige, more than wealth, more than a name, more than, than, than protection from disappointment, freedom from disappointment, freedom from struggle. What he wanted to give them most was the kingdom of God, the promise of God that they would be a nation, that God would make them a family. And so as he does that, he, he relays the aspects of this kingdom, of what God is doing. And I think that idea of kingdom is important because remember, they're, they're there in Egypt and though, and though Joseph is second in charge, he's basically the prime minister uh, with Pharaoh being king. Remember that even in chapter 37, as Barton pointed out last week, it was, uh, it was Jacob who understood, no, I'm going to bless you, Pharaoh, um, because I come from a greater kingdom than even this great kingdom of Egypt. And now I'm going to give this kingdom to my grandsons. I want them to understand it. And there's six, six things I think we see in this passage regarding this kingdom uh, that are a blessing to us even as we think about our own children, whether it's children in the church or biological children or whomever God has placed in our path uh, for whom we are in a sense fathers or grandfathers. And here it is, brothers. First of all, I want us to see in verses 1 through 3, this kingdom revelation. The context here in, in verses 1 through 3 is that Joseph is bringing his sons to uh, his, his father Jacob, who is about to die, 147 years old. And he brings Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh is the firstborn. Ephraim is the secondborn. 
and he's bringing them to Jacob, who's now called Israel. Remember, we, we studied that in chapter 32 of Genesis. God has given him a new name. And what, is, what does uh, Jacob do? What does Israel do? He says, first of all, listen, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz, or Bethel. God Almighty revealed himself to me. What he's about to give Joseph and particularly his grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh, is not a philosophy of life. It's not wise living for, you know, the daily grind. Uh, It's not even a religion. No, he's saying the God who is creator has revealed himself to me. I would have never known God except that God spoke to me. That, That God in his graciousness Uh, wanted a relationship with me and communicated with me. So what I'm giving you is not a religion. It's not a philosophy. It's a relationship with God himself. This is the God who revealed himself to me. And brothers, I would say to, to all of us, and I say it to myself, let us make sure that we as fathers, as grandfathers, again, whether God has given you biological children or biological grandchildren, let us be ones who, fathers in the church, grandfathers in the church, let us be ones who tell our family about the God who has revealed himself. Let's go beyond advice and wisdom for how to deal with everyday life and let's move into the realities of the kingdom of a God who wants a relationship with us. Let us make sure that that is the gift that we are giving our sons, our grandsons, our daughters, our granddaughters, this kingdom revelation. Jacob goes on, or we see it on in this passage in verse 4, this kingdom covenant. Jacob says, uh, repeating the covenant that was given to to his uh, grandfather and to his father, uh, what God had said even in Genesis 15, that I'm going to make you a great nation. He says, I will make you a company of peoples and I will give you an everlasting possession. God's covenant, you remember, we we saw it in Genesis 15 and we've seen it repeated over and over again. And here, uh, Joseph once again is repeating it for his grandsons and for his sons. God is going to, he has promised to make us a nation, to make us a family, to make us a kingdom. And this same covenant that existed years and years ago, decades and decades ago, even centuries ago, this same covenant is is here for us now. And brothers, I would say this same covenant that we see in Genesis 15, that we see in Genesis 48, that is the gospel. That is what we know through the gospel. That is the gospel is just the fulfillment of that. It's not something different. It's it's the way that God was going to make us family. Those of us who were alien because of our sin, that He was going to redeem us through a Savior. See, the patriarchs understood that this was to come, but yet we understand it's here now. And so I would say to, to each of us, brothers, let us always be telling our family the gospel. And I don't just mean the gospel that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That's an aspect of the gospel. 
The full gospel is that Jesus Christ came to save sinners in order that we might be part of the family of God, in order that we might be agents of redemption in the kingdom, and that that kingdom might expand on this earth, not through some political realm, but through love and through acts of service, through what it says in Micah 6, 8. What does God require of you? But to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God, that others might do the same. Let us bring that covenant, that kingdom covenant to our family, to the city. Third thing I want us to see here in this passage in verses 5 through 7 is this idea of kingdom adoption. I mean, what is, what is Jacob doing here when he says, I, in, in our ESV Bibles, don't quite give us the, the, the fullness of this, when he says that Ephraim and Manasseh are going to be as, as uh, Reuben and Simeon are, really what it's saying is, um, I'm going to make Ephraim and Manasseh, um, I'm going I'm to put them in place of Simeon and Reuben. I'm going to replace them. Now we know from 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, the reasoning behind this. And the reasoning behind this is it says there in 1 Chronicles chapter 5, is that Reuben, you remember in chap, this happened in Genesis 35, that it says in Chronicles about Genesis 35, that Reuben defiled his father's couch or defiled his father's bed. Uh, you remember he slept with, his, with, with uh, Jacob's concubine, uh, Bilhah. And he was doing that to try to gain his place, and yet he brought disgrace on himself and on his family. And so what Jacob is doing here is saying, you know what, that lineage of Leah um, with Reuben and Simeon being first and second, I'm replacing that with the lineage of Rachel because of the disgrace that Reuben has done. And so this, what he's doing here, this blessing, this is a, this is a legal act. It's a, it's a prophetic act. He, he understands what the Spirit of God is saying to him, and he knows that, that he's acting on God's will to do this. And in doing so, uh, he's replacing Simeon uh, and Reuben with uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. But maybe more importantly, what is God doing? Because you remember what Barton said last week? Barton reminded us, and it's so important for us to remind, the key character in our study of Genesis, and our study anywhere in the Bible, is not the, is not the individuals like Joseph and Manasseh and Ephraim and, and Jacob. No, the, the key player, the key actor uh, is God himself. So what is God doing? Well, what God's doing is showing us that the way into the kingdom is adoption. And that is a beautiful thing. That is such an important thing for us. Um, There may be some of us who are ethnically Jewish uh, who are listening to this Bible study, um, but I'm not. Um, I'm mostly Swedish and Norwegian. I mean, I have no no ethnic claim on, on, on the Old Testament, no ethnic claim on God revealing himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But don't you see, even here in Genesis 48, God is saying that's not the way in. The way in is not an ethnic claim. The way in is a spiritual claim through adoption. And and I'm showing you how this adoption will work, that I can make you my sons. I can make you my daughters. Because I can decide to do that. Boy, this issue of adoption is so important. We see it played out uh, in Romans in a powerful, powerful way. We also see it uh, in the Gospel of John 
We actually see it all over the New Testament. And again, it's key for us. Most of us are not ethnically Jewish. And again, being ethnically Jewish doesn't give you a, a position in the kingdom. No, the adoption of God gives you a position in the kingdom. And God is showing us that here. And so, brothers, I would say to us, let's make sure that our kids and our grandkids know that we long for them to be adopted into the kingdom of God. It's great they're members of our family. We're thankful that they're members of our family. But the ultimate family to be a part of is not our family. The ultimate father that they should have, or even grandfather, is not us. No, the ultimate father is the heavenly father, the perfect father. And we long for them to be adopted into God's family. Fourthly, we see in verses 8 through 16, this kingdom blessing. Again, let's make sure we grasp the context here as we're moving rapidly through this. The context here is that, that Joseph's sons, Jacob's grandsons, are there before him. And this is a, a, a formal ceremony. Uh, that's what's taking place there in verses uh, 8 and 9 um, when, when, when Jacob says to Joseph, um, who are these? It's not because he's old and can't see. This is a, a formal question, kind of like um, when uh, the pastor in a wedding says, who gives this woman to be married to this man? Um, everybody in the room knows who does that, and the pastor himself who's asking the question knows the answer, but it's part of the, the formal ceremony. And this was a formal ceremony based on a prophetic revelation given to uh, Jacob by God. But they're but it was formal. It was, it was something that was uh, set apart here. But what's interesting here is that though Joseph placed Manasseh uh, on one side so that, that, um, that Jacob would naturally put his right hand on Manasseh and his left hand on Ephraim, um, though he placed him that way, uh, what happens here? It says that, that as as Jacob blesses them, he crosses his hands. He put his right hand, uh, the hand of the blessing, upon Ephraim, the younger, and the left hand on Manasseh, the older. We'll come back to that. That is extremely important. And of course, for those of us who study the book of Genesis, uh, we're probably smiling right now going, oh, we've seen this before. But we'll come back to that when we talk about kingdom of grace. Right now, talking about kingdom blessing, we see here in verses 15 to 16 the blessing that uh, Jacob gives. And wow, it is beautiful, it is powerful, and it has three aspects to it that are so important. It says that he, he blessed Joseph, and uh, literally what it means there, he blessed Joseph's son. He's, uh, the, what God's Word says Joseph to, to, to represent his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And he says there in verses 15 16, the God before uh, the God before whom my father Isaac, excuse me, Abraham and Isaac walked. And that is speaking of the covenant promise that, that has existed all the way back to uh, Abraham. And what Jacob is saying is, I, I want you to know that God is a, is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. He goes on to say, uh, the God who has been my shepherd all of my life unto this day. Brothers, that's a, that's a beautiful point for so many things. Of course, it immediately makes us think of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But I want you to know that this is the very first time in 
the Bible that God is referred to as a shepherd. And certainly as you look at the life of Jacob, you can see how he saw God as his shepherd. God has guided him in the same way that Jacob shepherded his own flocks for years and years and years. He understands, oh, God has been shepherding me uh, as his flock, as his sheep, as his wandering sheep. Um, and, uh, and I want my grandsons to know that the Lord is my shepherd. And the third thing he says there is the angel who has redeemed me. And I believe this is referring to that moment in Genesis 32 when he wrestled with the angel of God. And, uh, and, and he's speaking now about God being redeemer. So he says to his grandsons, I want you to know that God is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. I want you to know that the Lord is my shepherd. I want you to know that my God is my, my redeemer. And, Father, and, and brothers, as we think about what it means for us to, uh, to bless our own daughters and sons and granddaughters and grandsons, as we think about the gift that we give them, let's make sure this is the blessing we tell our family about. When we talk about God's blessing, let us not be trivial and speak of simply financial blessing or, or providential blessing, but let's speak of God himself, his character as a covenant making and keeping God. Let us, let us tell them that the Lord is our shepherd, that whether we have plenty or whether we have want, whether we are, are dining in the presence of our enemies or walking through the valley of the shadow of death, whether we are, are, are experiencing God's provision or experiencing God's discipline, let us remind them that the Lord always is our shepherd. And let us remind them that the Lord is our redeemer. He is the one who has, has bought us, who has saved us. This is kingdom blessing. Let's make sure we're giving kingdom blessing to our, our kids and our grandkids. And number five in verses 17 through 20, we see kingdom grace. Here's where we go back to the whole crossed hands thing. Um, uh, Jacob knows what he's doing. I mean, apparently he knows what Joseph's doing. Joseph's positioning his son saying, hey, this is the way I want you to bless my sons. And uh, Jacob knows what God wants and he's going to, and he's going to bless this way. Ephraim is going to be the greater. And of course, as you see here in these verses, verses 17 through 20, uh, Joseph is uh, not okay with that. That's not how he wants his sons blessed. He wants them blessed in a different way. And yet God is going to choose to do it this way. And he has revealed that to Joseph. And of course, like I said, we've seen this before. Isn't this a beautiful irony? Because this, uh, this is how it all started with Jacob, right? And at the time, Jacob was scheming and, and, and cheating and, and, and being deceitful. And here, at the end of his life, he's just trusting God. As God has revealed himself, that's what he's going to do. He's going to be obedient. And as Joseph wrestles with this and, and isn't okay with this, no, that's not how I want you to bless my sons, God. I want you to bless them like this. What does, what does Joseph say? Oh, his answer is just so wonderfully, wonderfully gentle. Look what it says in verse 19 is, as Joseph protests, uh, it says, I know, it says that Jacob says, I know, my son, I know. 
He shall also become a people, speaking of Manasseh, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall be a multitude of nations. The gentleness with which he speaks of God's grace. Listen, he wants Joseph to know. He wants his grandsons to know. Oh, God is, God is offering you his grace. And that grace comes like this. That grace comes to those who do not deserve it, who really have no claim on it. That's the grace of God. Not that we have an ins- that somebody has an inside connection to blessing, that somebody, because of who they are or how they've been born, has a more natural connection to God's grace than someone else. No, the reality is over and over again in Genesis and throughout our Bibles, God says, no, I am going to love whom I love. And, and, and when he gets to Deuteronomy, when Moses gets to Deuteronomy, uh, in the early chapters, uh, chapters 6, 7, and 8, and he speaks about why God chose uh, the people of Israel. He says, listen, I didn't, I didn't choose them because they were more numerous. I didn't choose them because they were more powerful. I didn't choose them because uh, you know, they, they were greater than other nations. No, I chose them because I love them. And here is another demonstration of God's grace. God is going to decide. God is going to dictate. No one is going to dictate to God. So when he sets his affection on you, brothers, it's not because of anything you've done, which is a blessing, because that means it can't be undone by you, because God is the one that has done it. This is kingdom grace for us. And so I would say to to us, brothers, let us make sure we are making our families, making it known to our families how grateful we are for God's grace in our lives. Let, let's make sure we let our daughters and our sons and our wives and our, our, our grandchildren, if God blesses us with that, uh, everyone in our family, let's make sure we let them know that we were not deserving of God's love, that there was nothing in us that, that would cause God to love us. And yet, we are so overwhelmed with gratefulness because God chose to set His affection on us just because He decided to do that. And that is the grace of God. That is kingdom grace. That is the order of grace in the context of God's kingdom. And finally, brothers, in verses 21 through 22, I want us to see the kingdom future. Over and over again, and we see in Scripture, we certainly see it as it's revealed uh, in the Gospels as, as Jesus comes to proclaim the kingdom. And when he proclaims the kingdom, he says the kingdom of God is at hand. At the, yet at the same time, we know that the kingdom of God is still future. And here it's the same thing. They are experiencing God's amazing provision and blessing there in the land of Goshen. Uh, and and they, are, they, they know that. Well, at the same time, uh, those who are receiving this word, who Moses is, is writing to, the people of Israel, having been freed from Egypt, now wandering in the desert, hearing these words and headed to the promised land, what God is saying to them through Moses is you're going to have this promised land and it's a token of, it's an experience of God's provision, but it's just a taste of the everlasting kingdom. See, make no doubt, uh, don't, don't have any doubt about it, that 
um, the patriarchs understood that the possession of the promised land, that that was just a token, was just pointing to, was just a taste of the everlasting kingdom that was promised them. The ultimate gift was not that section of Canaan. The ultimate gift was, was a land that God had for them forever. And it's a powerful moment here as, as uh, in this context, as um, Joseph is given this mountainside in Canaan by his father. Think about this for a second. Uh, Joseph is the second uh, most powerful person in the great kingdom of Egypt. As I said earlier, it's like Pharaoh is king, Joseph is prime minister. He's extremely wealthy. And what does his father say to him? Hey, uh, as a gift for you, I've got, some, I've got some land in Canaan that I want to give you. Um, what is that about? Well, what it's about is I'm going to give you a token of what is ultimately the everlasting kingdom. And Jacob understood this. He understood the ever. He stood, understood that the kingdom of God was both now and not yet. There was a taste of it. There was a pointing to it. But ultimately, there was a fulfillment that was to come. Brothers, as I think about that, I think about my own life, and the question comes to my own head, Todd, are you investing in the everlasting kingdom? Is that how you think about the investment of your time, the investment of your relationship, the investment of your money? Or are you, are you investing in an earthly kingdom, in the token, in the, in the something that's temporal? Or are you, you investing your life in what is this everlasting kingdom? Todd, are you making choices based on this everlasting kingdom, this kingdom future? And I would say to us brothers, to all of us, Let's be sure that when we speak to our, our, our families, our sons, our daughters, our grandsons, our granddaughters, anyone, even in the family of God, that, that God has given us influence, let's be sure that our families know, that the people around us know, that this is the treasure that we really care about. That we're not storing up for ourselves treasure here on earth, as it says in Matthew, a Sermon on the Mount, five, six, and seven, but instead that, that we are storing up for ourselves treasure in heaven, that we're seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, that that's the thing that matters to us most, that the treasure we are pursuing is this future kingdom, that the decisions we're making are based on the future kingdom. Oh, what a powerful gift Joseph gave, or excuse me, Jacob gave to Joseph's sons that day. You know, it makes me think of my, my own father. I've spoken about him several times now. My father is still alive. He, he lives up on Lookout Mountain. My mother is still alive. Next month, my, my dad will turn 79 years old. Um, he's in great health. He might be in better health than I am, so he might outlive me. Uh, and I would say I have, I have been fortunate uh, to receive from my father this greatest gift. If you were to ask me, Todd, what is the greatest gift that your dad has ever given to you? I think I am I'm fortunate enough to say, uh, to answer to you, the greatest gift my father has ever given to me is an awareness of the kingdom of God. Uh, he hasn't, my father hasn't always been perfect. He hasn't always done the right thing. He hasn't, uh, there have been times when he's failed me. 
Um, there's been times when he's uh, failed our family. But when you look at the sanctifying work in his life, and you listen to him talk, and you see what he invests in, and you see what he cares about, and you see what he speaks about, it's very clear that the kingdom of God is the most important thing in his life. And it's very clear that the most important thing he feels like he could give to us, the greatest gift he could give to his sons, to his grandsons, to his granddaughters, is the kingdom of God. And I'm thankful for that. Brothers, I want to be like that. I want to give that gift to my kids as best as God allows me to. And brothers, I've experienced that from you, and I will say this once again. I'm thankful for you, even as I think of your faces, for the way that you have given me that gift, even as we've studied Genesis together, that you have, have given me the gift of the kingdom and I pray that we together, that we together as brothers would give that gift to those around us. That we might give the blessing, not of Jacob, but of God through Jacob. That others might know the greatness of being sons and daughters in the kingdom of God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you again for this precious time in your word. Thank you for these brothers, for how they spur me on to love and good works as it talks about in Hebrews. And Father, we'd ask that you'd seal these things to our hearts, that we might live them out, not because we're trying to get your approval, but instead, Father, because we're very sure that by your own grace, we already have your approval. Oh, Lord, may that be the reality of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you, brothers.